the past few weeks, we've been in the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus is not one of those books that we kind of think of like, that's my go-to book when I go to the Bible. You know, when I go to the Bible and I open it up, what I want to do is I want to read Leviticus. (laughs) And yet... At the same time, there's so much in Leviticus, there's so much richness concerning the Levitical priests and all the sacrifices and everything there that honestly, to miss out on Leviticus is to miss out on a lot of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that today. Today, this past week, we read Leviticus chapters 12 through 15. How many of you read those chapters? Riveting, wasn't it? You guys are just sitting there, it's just amazing. And really what we're going to do, we're going to focus not just on those four chapters, we're going to go back to last week, because last week Leviticus chapter 11 kind of ties in with all of this as well, all the foods that were clean and unclean, because that's what we're talking about. And this sermon today is titled, Cleanliness is Next to Godliness. Anybody who has been around me knows that cleanliness is not one of my spiritual gifts. Your idea, my idea of clean is probably your idea of dirty, especially if you're one of those people who you're very organizationally minded, you like to keep your house, you know, super clean. First of all, God bless you guys. I'm so glad for you. I'm dead, dead serious. So glad for you. I am your nightmare. I am your absolute nightmare. You come in and I'm like, the house is clean. And then you're just like, oh my goodness. Barbara working here for so many years. Seriously, she's a saint, uh, but she had to put up with the fact that my, my office was not going to be anywhere close to her liking, right? Just the way it was going to be. And yet, that type of cleanliness is not exactly what we're looking at in these passages of Scripture. And it's important for today, whether you did the readings or not, did did the readings? I told you my talking today is just going to be a little crazy, okay? Whether you did the readings or not this week, it's important that we overview the chapters because there is a lot of significance in the things that we're reading, even though... Like I said, you're going to look at this like this wasn't that riveting of a, of a read. What, what in the world can we get out of this? So chapter 11 were all the foods that were considered clean and unclean for the people of Israel. Those of you who watched the videos over the week, I, I kind of mentioned this idea that, you know, I'm so glad I'm not Jewish because, uh, you know, I can have bacon, right? Bacon is amazing. And yet I make that joke and people have always made that joke, right, concerning that. Why? Because... It is known that they're not supposed to eat pork. Why? Because it comes from a pig, right? And pig was an unclean animal. They were to be distinguished as the people of God, even from the foods that they were supposed to eat. And while we're not under that covenant anymore, you know, that, that law that was there was for the people of Israel. Chapter 12, we have purification after childbirth. That was a pretty big deal, you know? That, that women during that time, during their recovery period, it spent, if it was a male child, 40 days out from worship from the community. And if it, was a, if it was a woman child, it was 80 days out from community in worship. Ladies, how many of you miss being in community when you're gone? How, how would, it would not feel great to have to stay away a month, five weeks, or ten weeks, would it? Not when you're like, I could be back, I could be back. No, you couldn't be back. That would be a a hard thing because this is all about being clean 
coming in to worship. Then we have Leviticus 13 covers a couple of things. Infectious skin diseases. That was just amazing, wasn't it, to read all of that this week? Infectious, infectious skin diseases. How to know that you have one. That's probably a good thing, right? How do, you, how do you know that you have one and what are you supposed to do? And then we go to the end of 13 and we see that we're looking at mildew and mold in your garments. Right? What if we have something growing on our garments that hasn't been there? This is for all of you mid-high mothers. You have, you have mothers who are mid-high... Mothers who have mid-high kids. Oh my goodness. I told you pray for me. You guys understand the whole mold and mildew thing with the clothes, don't you? Especially if they're teenage boys. Just saying. We have Leviticus 14. Cleansing from infectious skin diseases. What are the offerings and sacrifices that they're supposed to bring once they are proclaimed to be clean? Right? The end of the chapter, we're looking at cleansing from mildew or mold in, inside a home. You imagine that in, in that community that you have that mold and mildew and you have to stay out of your house for seven days. And then if it's deemed that it's a corrupting one, you have to tear down your entire house. That would stink, right? But all of this was needed as far as part of the community. And then Leviticus 15, the discharges from the body that cause uncleanness. I, that's one that every parent is just like, I, can we just avoid this chapter, please? Right? And yet it's right there for the people to know. This was part of the natural, everyday life, the function of community. You needed to know when you were clean and when you were unclean from these normal bodily discharges. It made you talk about stuff that you don't want to talk about. And it's not a bad thing. Because it all had to do with the worship of God. This is what we need to know. Now, how in the world are these things all connected? And what in the world are we going to get about Jesus from all of this? This just doesn't seem like I'm going to get much. But there's a lot actually there. And my goal today, my hope today, is that you guys will see Jesus more clearly. Maybe than you have thought you would. Running into these chapters that seem so meticulous and tedious and boring. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with Jesus? Well, part of it is the understanding of the difference between the role of the high priest of Israel and the role of the high priest of God. I think there's a huge distinction between the two that we're going to look at today that's going to help bring all of this and coalesce this to see Jesus more clearly. See, the high priest of Israel's role was that of intercessory and observer. He's anointed for his position with a special anointing oil that couldn't be reproduced by the people of Israel. I mean, it was actually said, if you try to reproduce this and put this on somebody else, you are to be cut off from your people. Okay? But it was given to the priests so that they would be commissioned for their works of service. So they walk into that. The high priest himself had no power to heal or make people clean. They had this anointing oil. That anointing oil was sprinkled over everything. And that's what made the high priest prepared and clean and ready to worship and do ministry. That, that anointing oil was covered all over the, the tabernacle and the different 
portions of the tabernacle and all the utensils that were going to be used for ministry. That was so important for them to be ready for ministry that it was sprinkled even upon Aaron and his sons. So that they would be ready to minister with that anointing oil. They'd be set apart as holy. But the high priest could not then, therefore, go off and do the same thing with others, right? They couldn't, they weren't going to take the anointing oil. It was only for the priests. And everything that they might have touched, they had an opportunity to become defiled by it, right? They were supposed to keep themselves from being defiled. So that they could minister to the people of God. That's what they were called to do. It's a much different thing that we see. So what they did, as you guys read this past week, is they were the ones who were, to, who were supposed to observe. When they looked at skin diseases and the like, guess what? It was the priests and the high priests who would come off and they would look and say, let me see your arm. They'd show them the arm or whatever was the infected body part, right? And say, okay, now we have to determine whether or not that is a skin disease, leprosy, or something else that, that is going to be infectious around the camp based upon the word of God. And if it is, then you have to quarantine yourself. You quarantine yourself for a certain period of time. We see if it's spreading. And if it's spreading, then it's an infectious disease. And if it's an infectious disease, you have to stay away from everybody until such time that that disease either runs its course or you stay away from everybody forever. That's how you got these leper colonies because they would go and be observed and they would have the skin disease and they wouldn't heal and they had to leave the community. Not just the worship community, the entirety of the community because God is protecting his people concerning the diseases that were out there and that part of that was separating those who were unclean because of these diseases. The high priest could diagnose, but he couldn't cure. As a matter of fact, even when they were cured, they would come to the high priest and and he becomes this uh, intercessory between them saying, here's the prescribed sacrifice that you are to bring to the tabernacle and later to the temple so that you might be cleansed from this. And once you are cleansed, you are welcome to come back into community and into the worship of your people. Something you and I, I think, take a little bit for granted. So, this is what the high priest was supposed to do. He's an intercessory and he's an observer. He's keeping watch over the people of God and making sure that things are right for them to worship. Physically right. But he had no power in and of himself. The power that he's been granted, anything, any authority that he has has been given by God to minister on behalf of the people. Now, this may all seem tedious as far as the function of worship is concerned. Right? This is almost like reading a programmer's guide or something like that. Or reading instructions for something you're excited to do. Like, there's a game I want to play. I am the one who reads all the instructions. You know why? Because nobody else wants to do it. Somebody gets that tedious task. You guys understand what I'm talking about. How many of you are game players, right? You play games? How many of you are the one whose task to understand the game so you can explain it to everybody else so they don't have to read it. Raise your hand. 
Some of you guys, yeah, it's, you just and you just spend the time doing that. It seems tedious, right? So we're reading this right here. We're like, I don't get a whole lot out of this. What what does this, all this sacrifice and all this knowledge have to do with Jesus? When we look at these tedious details, it's only details. And we forget that the whole of the law and the sacrificial system was designed to reveal, to point Jesus to a people who were looking for their Messiah. We sometimes miss some important stuff. I want to go back to that idea of this anointing oil that's given for the priests, for the people who are given their service. Did you know that the word Messiah means anointed one? That's really what it means. It means anointed one. And if we get an idea of what the oil did, we're going to read together, go back for a couple of weeks from our study in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 30, starting in verse 22, just to remind ourselves of the anointing oil, what it was supposed to do. And the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine, uh, fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much as uh, that is, 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant cane, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hen of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table, all of its articles, the lampstand, its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of the burnt offering, and all of its utensils, and the basin with which it stands. You shall consecrate them so that they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for generations to come. Do not pour it on men's bodies and do not make any oil with the same formula. It is sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and whoever puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from his people. This anointing oil had a special function among the people of Israel. We would see anointing oil used in two instances. To anoint priests and later to anoint kings. And it's interesting. The anointing oil, once it was put on the utensils for the places of worship, made those things holy and all that it touched holy. That anointing oil, when placed upon the priests, was making them holy and commissioning them for their work as priests for people of God. And in the same way, would do so for the kings. Everything the oil touches becomes holy. And yet, that wasn't given to the high priest. The priest had a high priest had to keep himself from being defiled. If he touched something that was unclean, it would make him unclean and he would have to go give sacrifice before the Lord in order to become clean again and be able to serve and minister to the people. And yet the people of God were looking for the anointed one. And it's really interesting here. If we take a look at what sets Jesus apart, primarily 
focusing on the passages of scripture that we studied this past week, I think you're going to see something that really starts to open your eyes that Jesus is all over these passages of scripture. That it screams, this is the Messiah. There are a lot of people who don't like looking at the Old Testament. They think that looking at the Old Testament, you know, this is all old school. But without the Old Testament, especially what we're looking at in Leviticus, we don't get the majesty of Jesus Christ. We don't fully understand what is revealed when Christ is finally revealed at the time that God said, this is the appointed time for my son so that everybody can see and know from all the things that I have implemented before, it is to reveal my son who is the one that they're looking for, that anointed one, that Messiah, the one that was promised. So let's take a look at some of these scriptures. Remember Leviticus Leviticus chapter 11 was all about what? All the foods, right? All the different foods that were out there. And that as Jews, they were supposed to be different than the world around them. So their diet was different. And the way that they ate was different than everybody else. There were certain foods that were off limits to them because of their consciousness toward God because it was through the Jewish people that the Messiah was going to come. And it's very interesting in Jesus' ministry what we see him do concerning the very foods that were proclaimed clean and unclean. Turn with me to Matthew, not Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 7. Verses 1 through 8. Jesus uh, is going through different places and it says the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And then he would go on and talk about how he would do that, the things that he would do. And in verse 14, he picks up again. Again, Jesus called to the crowd and said to them and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then goes out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man 
is what com- is what makes him unclean. For what from for from within, out of men's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from the inside and make a man unclean. Did you see what Jesus did there? And see, Mark's gospel is from the recollections of Peter. So we know that we're getting this from Peter. Peter is the one that we look in Acts chapter 10 where God gives him a vision when he's going to go speak to people who are Gentile believers. And that vision has this sheet coming down from heaven that has all types of animals, including those that would be unclean by the Levitical law. And the voice from heaven three times when Peter was told to kill and eat, he was like, never, Lord, I've never touched anything unclean. He says, do not call unclean that which God has made clean. Happened three times. And it's from that he has this encounter with Cornelius. And so we hear right here in Mark that Jesus is proclaiming all foods clean. They didn't go out and eat bacon the next day. But they could have. You know why? Because the law was there to reveal Jesus. He's there. There's no more need for all this ceremony. He's there. He's going to be the one keeping that law so that everybody can see that this is the one that God has promised. And he proclaimed, Leviticus chapter 11, all foods clean. It's all been fulfilled. I'm here. Leviticus chapter 13, we see what is given to the people if they found themselves with an infectious disease. And it spread and it wasn't healing. We look at verses. 45 and 46, it says, The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of his face and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. These lepers that were out there, with all of these different diseases, could not be in community. Not only could they not be in community, they they couldn't look like normal people if they were wanting to do what God had asked them to do. They had to keep their hair unkempt. They had to look ragged. They had to stay in torn clothes. And then they had to run around with unclean, unclean, everywhere they went. Separated from community, separated from worship, and yet desperately wanting to worship the God whom they're obeying by looking like that. And so, what do we see with Jesus? Mark chapter 1, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Verse 40, it says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. Can you understand why he's begging him? 
You imagine being away from community and finally the anointed one has come? If you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice the words he used there. He didn't say you can heal me. You can make me clean. I am unclean. I cannot be in community. I cannot be around people. I cannot worship my God in community. If you are willing, you, the anointed one, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. And Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. What does Jesus say? I have healed you. You are clean. Now, what are you going to do? Exactly what God has prescribed you to do in the law. Go to the priests. Show them that you are clean. Let them know who has healed you. Offer the sacrifices as a testimony to the priests who are there so that they will know that the anointed one has come. See, it's all about Jesus. It's not just about living together in community. This is about revealing Jesus to the world. And this was needed. Leviticus 15. The chapter everybody wanted to avoid, let's just be honest. Starting in verse 25, it says this, When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean, as during her period. And whoever touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water. And he will be unclean until evening. You imagine being in that situation? I mean, ladies, I know it's already bad once a month, right? Seriously, it's like once a month, I don't want to be touched. But, But at some point, you want that to go away. My wife is praying for menopause right now. Just being honest, it's true. The truth of the matter is, when we have that, it's a, it's a blessing of God. But the, the problem is, if it continues in an unnatural way, it affects everything. Because now, we have a problem that is beyond what would be normal. And it affects everything. And so we see this in Mark chapter 5. Starting in verse 31, uh, excuse me, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. 
Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with them. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Can you imagine? All that we're looking at right here, Leviticus 15, 12 years of suffering, 12 years that everything she touches becomes unclean. And if anybody touches what she's touched, they become unclean. Can you imagine That type of isolation, being in community but not being able to really be around anybody. And she takes the chance because she hears that Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah was coming. And she does something that is, think about it, a bold move of faith. Because anything she touches becomes unclean. Ceremonially, that's what happened. We just read the verses, right? Anything she touches becomes unclean. And she, believing that Jesus was the anointed one, reached out her hand and just knew, if I could just touch his cloak, I know I will be healed. And immediately, power leaves Jesus and she is healed and she knows it. Everything that Jesus touches is being healed. See, this isn't the high priest of Israel. This is the high priest of God. How different that is. What a testimony. And what should she have done? Go to the priest. Offer up the sacrifice and be able to say, guess what? Jesus healed me. Can you imagine hearing that day after day after day, miracle after miracle after miracle, everybody who is unclean ceremonially going up to the priest day after day and saying, I'm offering sacrifice. You know why? Because Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. Oh my goodness. You know why he's gaining so much popularity? Because Jesus is healing people. And people who are unclean, who would defile a high priest or a priest, are being healed and being made clean at the touch of Jesus. Think about that. And yet, without the Levitical law, without these tedious little things that they had to do, 
all of those things would go unnoticed by a larger society. Even ones worshiping God. These were prescribed by God to reveal ultimately Jesus. And so I should show you right there in the scripture, these are the things right from these chapters, these tedious chapters that we wonder why are they there? It's to show Jesus as Messiah to the priests, to the people of Israel and to you and me. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what happens when Matthew chapter 11, we see John the Baptist having second doubts. He's now arrested and he's in jail. And while he's in jail, these doubts come. You know, have I done the right thing? Did I point them to the right person? I did see the Holy Spirit come on Jesus as a dove and I proclaim that he's the son of God. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now I'm in jail and I I just need to be doubly sure. Matthew 11, starting in verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. Do you see what that is? Tell John what's happening. Tell him what's happening with your eyes. Tell him that lepers are being touched and they're being cured. You know why? Because you had leprosy and you touched somebody, they became unclean. Here's what's happening. Jesus is the anointed one. And remember, that which the anointing oil touches, all becomes holy, right? So the anointed one of God touches the leper, and the leper becomes clean. He doesn't become defiled. The woman with the flow of blood, she doesn't defile Jesus by touching his robe. She becomes clean. All of this to point who Jesus is, to take this message back to the priest and say the Messiah has truly come. And you guys thought it was just about sacrifices. See, all throughout John's gospel, Jesus said, you know what? Even if you don't believe in me, at least believe in the miracles so that you know that I am who I say I am. If I haven't done what the Father has done, if you don't see me doing the things that only the Father can do, don't believe me. But if you, even if you don't believe me, at least believe the miracles. Because they point to who I am. And these Levitical laws that were there are there so that people can see Jesus, the unclean, becoming clean at the touch of Jesus, the anointed one of God. You know, we have the same problem, you and me. We're separated. We're separated in two ways. Number one, unless you're Jewish, we're not Jews in general. Right? We're all Gentiles here. We, we did not inherit the promises of God that were promised to the people of Israel by natural means. We only got that through Jesus. And the second thing is this. 
We're separated because of our sin. And just as much as all of these people who were separated because of their unclean state, they couldn't come into community, they couldn't come into worship with God, and they were kept separate. These are the people that are praising Jesus. You know why? Because they see the healing that they couldn't do on their own, that Jesus provided with his touch. And he does the same for you and me. That's why he died on the cross. To provide for you and me a way to be made holy. To be seen as Jesus wants us to be. Healed. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it better than I could ever put it. Verses 11 through 18 it says this. Therefore remember. That formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier by dividing the wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. You guys understand that desperation, that separation from God is not just the lepers, it's you and me. We were away from God because of our sin. We were unclean, not worthy of being in his presence. And because of his great love for us, not through anything we have done, through his sacrifice, his work, he is torn down that barrier between Jew and Gentile. Torn down the commandments and the regulations. That's why we look back at Leviticus and we're not doing those things anymore because Christ has already finished those things. He's completed them on the cross. So when we look at Leviticus, we got this backwards puzzle piece of understanding where Jesus is seen in all this. And when you see it, man, it's glorious. Because every one of these pieces that we're looking at only tended to keep people away from God. And Jesus was there to bring them back into fellowship. Not through any means that they could do of their own, but by his grace, by his touch, by his healing, by his sacrifice. And for you and me, that that final sacrifice, the fulfillment of all of that is on the cross. Behold the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. That you and I can be drawn near, not because of anything we've done, because guess what? We're outside of God. Enemies. Because of our sin. And yet he died for our sin that we might be drawn close. That he takes upon himself our shame, our punishment, all the things that we deserve, so that we might, through our belief in him, be called children of God. And brought back into fellowship. In community with one another and with God. How amazing it is to be in the family of God. 
And God wants to work through every single person that he has touched and that he has changed. But we've got to come to the realization that it's not us. It's not through our work. He wants to work through us, but it's not our work that saved us. It's his. And that's why this section of scripture in Ephesians that we just talked about, that's all about Jesus, begins by saying this, familiar verses. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That you and I are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, saved by grace, not through our works because we were separated. We were that unclean person crying out to be brought back into the community of God through the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can start living for him. How do you think all of those people felt? The woman who was had that flow of blood for 12 years and was healed like that? That leper who stood outside of the colony had to yell, unclean, unclean, and if you're willing, you can make me clean? What do you think? How do you think they responded to the grace given them by Jesus and that healing? You think they might have done some works for him? Think they might have lived for him a little bit? We're called to do the same thing. Would you stand with me? See, my prayer for you guys today is very simple. I want you to begin to look for the glory of Christ in the book of Leviticus in every place in your life. These things are here to reveal Jesus. And if we didn't have those things that talked about how unclean people were, we would not see the miracles of the New Testament meaning near as much, would it? Take Leviticus out, what does it mean? Oh, it's another miracle worker. This is somebody who made somebody unclean, clean. And he's the anointed one, the holy one of God. Everything that he touches becomes clean. If you have not experienced Christ in your life, I pray that this is a day that that changes. I do. And maybe you've come in here and you're like, I- I'm unclean. I've-, I've messed up this week. You know what? That's the beauty of living for a savior who justifies the wicked. Not that we remain wicked, but that he makes us clean so that we can be his workmanship doing the good works he's prepared beforehand that we walk in. We come forward not because of anything that we're good at. It's because he's the one who's done all the work for us. If you don't know that grace, I pray you will today. If you've forgotten that grace, I pray you'll be reminded of it today. And I pray all of us will have a little bit greater appreciation of some of the things that we're reading in this boring book of Leviticus. I'd like to ask our elders to come up front, those in our uh, leading our prayer ministry, if you guys will come up front. If you have a prayer need any time during this time, please come forward. We'd love to pray for you. God, thank you so much for this time that we have together. I pray in the name of Jesus that we'll be able to see your glory even in these ritualistic things, because they're all there to reveal Jesus in all of his glory so that people will see that he is the anointed one. He is the one who takes away our sin. He is the one who makes clean the unclean. He is the one that makes righteous the sinner. 
so that we can be justified in your sight, not through our works, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if we've tried to rely upon ourselves, if we've tried to think that we have to clean up our act before we come to Jesus, we're missing the point. God, would you break down that barrier today and have us come by faith in grace through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice given. And Lord, allow you to justify us, to change us from the inside out and turn us from the unclean thing that we are into the holy thing that you call us to be. And God, I pray this in the name of Jesus that your glory may be revealed. Amen.